Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Please be advised that Gen X This Is Why contains adult language. Literally renting his teenage daughter to these two men. And welcome to Gen X This Is Why, the podcast where we re-examine the sometimes bizarre and often scarring media from our shared childhood. My name is Amy and I'm a proud Gen Xer born in the wonderful, wonderful year of 1977. And I'm her sister Jenny, born in 1974. Terrible year. <clears throat> I don't know. I was an infant. <laughs> Good morning, Jen. Good morning. Jenny just said to me on her camera, do I look dark? And I was like, is your soul showing? <laughs> <laughs> I can't get the balance of this webcam going because my background's so bright. Mm-hmm. I'm near a window. It's like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. We're obviously not in your teenage bedroom or it would look like a cave. That would actually work really well <laughs> for for remote broadcasting. <laughs> yes, it would. All right, I actually Jen. have a really bad headache today. Oh, great. So like, yeah, so like hanging out with you for an hour is going to really help that. Are you going to be low energy, like pretty pink? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to welcome some of our new listeners. We've had a bunch jump on lately, um, partly due to my crossover that I did with Mary Payne Gilbert, who I love so much, my bunkie. Um, we talked on her pod Pink Shade that she does with the wonderful Aaron Martin. And we also did a Hey Bunkie episode um, earlier this month. So, or it was in March. It was in March. So check those out if you get a chance. And if you watch trash TV like I do on the side, my dark little secret there <laughs> that I watch 90 Day Fiance and Love After Lockup. And I refuse to do any, to cover any of that crap. So Amy goes and, and uh, moonlights on other pods <laughs> to get that out of her there system. There will never be an episode where I get Jenny and talk about 90 Day Fiance. No, never. No. I mean, I've watched it and I enjoy some trash TV as well, but I'm not doing a podcast on it. Okay. Nope. Jenny prefers to stay in the trash of 1875. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get into this. Today we are covering Little House on the Prairie, Season 4, Episode 8, The Aftermath. The description reads, Jesse and Frank James hide out in Walnut Grove. The people of Walnut Grove find out who they really are when bounty hunters come looking for them. That's it? That's the, that is the description on the... Little House on the Prairie site. That's it. Getting lazy here, people. Okay. All right. I'm going to get something right off my chest here. 
I hope you brought the facts because we need them desperately. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I have the right facts. (laughs) I'm like, Jesus Christ, I hope Jenny has 10 index cards. And for me to say that. No, I kind of, I feel like it needed 10 index cards. Oh my God, it did. All right, Jen, we open on Paul and Mary going for a ride and casually discussing the Civil War. (laughs) Okay, can I discuss that he says... That topic still runs hot because the war ended 11 years ago. First of all, the topic still runs hot and it's 2021. Yeah. But he says it was 11 years ago. Correct? I I, I didn't imagine that. Yes. When Whipple came home from the war, Granville Whipple, they said the war was 12 years ago. (laughs) So we are now going back in time on Little House on the Prairie from season two to season four. Maybe when Granville Whipple came home, it was 12 years after he had left. No, they said it was 12 years since the war because we were trying to figure out what, like whenever we have those kind of time markers, I like to mm-hmm. note those so we know mm-hmm. what year we're in. We are one year earlier than the Granville Whipple. Episode. I may have to go back to that. Because he was gone like 15 years, but the war was, actually he was gone longer than that. But the war had been 11 years earlier because Paul was talking about that battle. Okay. And he was All talking right. about when the war ended. Okay. Jen, apparently, Miss Beetle's a Confederate apologist. <laughs> what is happening? All right, here? so I'm going to defend Miss Beetle here, but not the Confederacy. Well, so let let's me just be clear. The thought here: she told the class that they just cannot accept the North's version of what happened. Okay, go ahead. I think what she's trying to say is that the victors write history, which we right. know is a true thing. Right. Right. We yes. know that's true. Yep. Yep. But I think that's a weird thing to teach about in a war that people who fought it are still alive. You know what I mean? Like that's one thing to say like, oh, you know, if we're talking about the war of 1812, actually that was probably could have been people still alive from that then. If we're talking about the revolutionary war, the revolutionary war, then, you know, you, you can't, the victors were American. So like maybe the British have a different point of view on it, right? Like mm-hmm, everything sure. we read about is from the American victor point of view. Sure. Um, but to say that about a war that people who fought in it are still around is weird. I feel like it was weird. And it was, I don't know. I just, the guy outside's like, Nope, <laughs> like I was there. <laughs> right. It, and, and a lot comes to bear throughout the historical record. So the further you are away from yes. something, yep. the more you learn. And I feel like it's too raw, too raw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, be- and, that, and you know, you can't compare like the the trajectory of learning about history then to now, right? Cuz right. with the internet everything has right. just yeah. changed completely. Yeah. Okay. So Paul says he thinks he thinks Jen that a balanced look at things is a good idea. I can't I can't divorce that this is probably Michael Landon's theory here from the script. I just can't divorce those two things. I like I balanced, I guess not like it reminds I me guess of Sarah objective. balanced. And object <laughs> and a well but objective is a good thing. Objective is a good thing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Fair and balanced has been poisoned. Okay. For us. So Paul says he thinks a balanced look at things is a good idea, but with it only being 11 years after the war, Jen, pretty people are still pretty hot on the subject. And he <laughs> hopes he hopes Beetle isn't stirring up a hornet's nest. She is. But you can't look at things and and try to balance the sides and say they're both 
there's good people on both sides, right? You can't say that. Like, that is not the right view. The right view is to look at it objectively. Right. Which maybe one side is completely at fault and the other's not or whatever. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. like you just, you can't try to balance it out. You have to look at it objectively. Yeah. It's, it's weird. In town, the stagecoach is coming through, Jen. And the driver is really super excited with news that the James and is it younger group? Yeah, James and younger okay. gang has been caught. Well, all of the boys except the James except guys. Jesse James. <laughs> <laughs> they got away. Jesse James and Frank James got away, and in the process, Frank James got himself got himself shot. The town is glad that this gang is going down, and some dude even calls them murdering, thieving scum. Mm-hmm. Charles asks Miss Foster to mail a letter to Denver for him. Who's Charles talking to in Denver? First of all, what is with the turnover at the post office? <laughs> now Miss Foster works. Oh, Whipple? wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. Well, Whipple was there. Foster was there. Was filling in for Whipple. for Whipple. Yeah, the mess. They cannot keep people. <laughs> yep. But who is Charles communicating with in Denver? I don't know. There's no continuity, so we'll never find out. <laughs> All right. When some dude who's clearly Frank James collapses on a bench next to him, like these guys came in on the stagecoach. So I just have to say these these two, first of all, they talk about how the hotel is full. Did you hear this? Yeah, there's a hotel. There's a hotel and it's full. Like who is visiting Walnut <laughs> Grove? And then Hanson has an Airbnb running. <laughs> oh, he does. And it's gorgeous. And it's four bucks a week or it's something. It's like a three-floor, like, Victorian, amazing home. But these two strangers show up right after this bank robbery, not mm-hmm. too far away. Mm-hmm. They, f- they would either fit the description if they've heard the description or they've seen the pictures of these guys because these guys were well known. Yes. It's not like they were uh-huh. they must have been in that newspaper. Yes. But I guess it's the suits that fool, fool them like they're wearing suits so they can't be outlaws. This guy's clearly wounded. He's clearly <laughs> wounded. It is insane. Okay. So he collapses and super hot Jesse James gets <laughs> off the stagecoach. Woo! I was like, who's this dude? And he's like, I'm BK Dankworth. Okay, first of all, I wouldn't know that was fake immediately. I know, right? And this is my partner, Andrew Hobbs. Yeah, okay. The brothers are looking for a hotel, which is full. Full with tourists to Walnut Grove. I don't know. So Hanson ends up renting them a gorgeous house for $4 a week. Now, Frank says he has swamp fever. Yes. And Charles is like, should I get the doc? What is Doc Baker going to do? Doc Baker's not going to do anything, but the guy's like clearly almost passing out from blood loss. Like (laughs) he's he's limping. You don't limp from a fever. No, no, no. So Charles and a couple of the guys like give them a ride out there. They get to the house and they're getting settled. And Jesse says his brother is prone to convulsions. Yeah. With swamp fever. So he can't go into town. And they ask. (sighs) I have to take a deep breath before I read this one. They ask Paul if they could hire Mary to run errands for them for 25 cents a day. Not only does Paul allow his teenage daughter to work for two clearly suspicious randos. But he tells them, no, you only have to pay her 10 cents a day. So two strange men want to rent Mary for 25 bucks a day. 25 cents. 
25 cents a day. And Pa's like, no, she's only worth 10 cents a day. <laughs> wow. What the fuck, dude? I don't even know. Uh, Take the 25 cents and you keep 15. This was clearly before Stranger Danger because. <laughs> Literally renting his teenage daughter to these two men. Oh, my God. So later in town, Doc Baker sees Charles and they discuss the situation. The new visitor. They discuss Swamp Fever. Mm-hmm. Charles says it's weird that they didn't want to see a doctor, but, you know, they do know what they're doing with their convulsions and all. And Doc is like, wait a sec. I may be a horrible doctor, but I do know you don't get convulsions with swamp fever. Charles is like, this dude does. And Baker's like, "Hmm, I should go read my medical books. Baker doubts his own skills. (laughs) That was great. All right. Back at the house, everybody's sweating. Everybody's Everybody's sweating. sweating. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, whose house is this? Whose house is this? I, I think know. it's the blind school house later, though, isn't it? I thought it was the same house they used for the Widow Thurman, I know, for I Amos so. Pike. I mean, it I looks think like Widow, the same fucking house. I think Widow Thurman and Amos Pike was the same house. I think this is a different house, and I think it's the same house they used for the blind school. Maybe. By the way, guys, one of our memes shared in our Facebook group this YouTube video by this guy who, like, makes videos about where stars from certain shows are buried so he made one about Little House on the Prairie, and he talked it up like, I'm going to go to Sun Valley, where the show was filmed. So he's, like, leading up to this and leading up to this. He gets to Sun Valley, and he can't get in. That's the end he, of the video. He can't get in because the gate's closed. <laughs> I didn't even watch that. Watch and there's, that. like, this big buildup. Oh, my God. You have to watch it. You have to watch it. Well, now it. I know how it ends. So. Yeah, and you're just like. Uh, why didn't you just cut this part of the video? What are you doing? <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, so they're sweating, and Jesse is tending to Frank's gunshot wound. It's in his leg. It's supposedly the, the bullet went right through his leg. He definitely would have bled out on this. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. They're talking about how the gang is falling apart, how their gang is done now, and it's just them. And they want to go to the, they're going to lay low for a little bit and then head to the Dakotas and be farmers again. Can I also discuss that I may have looked up a little bit about the James brothers and they, their gang broke up, I think like in the 1880s. So this timeline is still is wrong. There's a lot wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Jenny, do you, you didn't make a comment. Do you think Jesse James is handsome? Yeah, I do. I mean, he's got that Bo Duke thing going on with the blonde flowing hair, the big Chris. He's no Chris. Whatever. He's no paw. Oh God. But you know. All right, at the Ingalls, Ma, Carolyn, the voice of reason. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you, Carolyn. She's baking something, and she's really concerned about this job. Like, she's like, these men are complete strangers. But she's concerned because they have some kind of contagious disease. She's Mm -hmm. not concerned because they're grown-ass men that they don't know anything about. No, first she says they're complete strangers, and Pa's like, but they seem nice enough. They're nice. They're nice. They have a suit on, and they're Then she, like, pulls out her second tool in the toolbox, which is... He, they may have a contagious disease. But she should have said, I don't care if they're wearing a suit and they're nice. We don't know anything about them. I know. But do you really think she's going to stand up to Paul? That's true. Good yeah. Point. So Carolyn's like, we don't even know if they're contagious. Like one is sweating and bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> He's bleeding through his pants <laughs> with swamp fever. I, I wanted to look up swamp fever. There's just too much to research. In There's this a episode. lot. Swamp so fever Paul, sounds fake. I there's a lot. And you know, I'm not picking up the mantle here. Yeah, I know. So Paul says he will take Doc Baker out there to examine him to make sure. Oh, no, fuck. And as long as they're okay, then Mary can continue working for them. Mary's like, okay, good. 
All right. So Doc and Charles show up. Charles waits outside. And I wrote, Jenny, how do you force medical attention on someone? You can't. Like this guy said, don't send Doc Baker out. And Charles does it anyway. Yeah. Maybe they thought once they settle in, they'll want to see a doctor. Who knows? Maybe. What if that scarecrow with the medical bag showed up at your door? I wouldn't. I just wouldn't even answer the door. I mean, was that not a thing then? Could you just not answer the door? Jenny's been on the run hiding out since 1984. I'll have my full lights on everything and not answer the fucking door. (laughs) Jesse answers the door and tells Doc that Frank doesn't trust doctors. He has an unreasonable distrust of doctors. And I just can't stop staring at his big blue eyes. He's kind of right on this distrust of this doctor, though. Oh, yeah. His instincts yeah. are right. Good instinct. Doc says they won't let him in the house. But, you know, since the brother seems fine, Jen, it's probably not contagious. Oh, my God. Be suspicious, Charles and Doc Baker. They won't let anyone in the house. No. Be suspicious. No. Only Mary. Uh, yeah. Like, come on, man. Then Charles goes, well, if you're okay with it, you tell Carolyn. I'm not telling her. Yeah. Doc's like, okay, I'll tell her. So at school, Jim, we have Mary reading while Beetle is trying to figure out. No, we have Carrie reading. Carrie was reading. Carrie was fake reading, wasn't she? <laughs> that was book was upside at, down. Carrie mm-hmm. was looking at a book. Okay. Yeah, we don't, we have no evidence that she was reading it. <laughs> she's one of those people who reads like her lips move and she says every word out loud oh. when she's reading. <laughs> so at school, we have Carrie reading while Beetle is just, you know, trying to figure out who was right and wrong in the Civil War. This, no biggie. He just turns into a clusterfuck. Beetle wants them to look impartially. And some rando, who we later learn is Bob, Bobby, stands up and says the North was right. And then Mary passionately defends the South. First of all, he has way too much makeup on. <laughs> that <laughs> actor has... Bobby so Ford. So much makeup on. I don't mm-hmm. know why. His name's Bobby on. Ford, Mimi's. And if that name sounds familiar, yeah, they went there. Yeah. His name is Bob Ford. Um, nice job, Miss Beetle. The war ended 11 years ago, and now they're they're going to fight the battle. This is the Battle of Walnut Grove. Yes, it is. This dude says there were these rebels, the Qu- Quantil's Raiders. And they killed his six-year-old brother. And Mary's like, I'm, I'm sorry about your brother, and then Miss Beetle says, that's it. I'm pulling the plug on the whole thing. But we should still vote on it tomorrow. Yeah, it's totally screwed. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah. So after school, Mary runs to the mill to see Pa. And he tells her she can go back to work for the murdering brothers. Now, I have a real beef here, Jen. And I've got to voice it at this point. This is episode number two, where there has been little to no Laura. And I'm not happy about it. I know. It. What's going on? I spotted her. She was behind Pa at the mill, sitting yeah, up on a little edge. Her and Carrie, they were like eating a little fruit or something. She said nothing. Why is Laura getting sidelined? Since when did this become the fucking Mary show? I know. It really is. I'm enraged. I'm not enough, not mad enough to go into the rage corner. Okay. But I'm angry about it. Okay. Next, we see Mary at the James house. And they're giving her their clothing sizes. Jen, I have to say something. You know how when Graham got older, she used to say, oh, yeah, I used to work for the mafia, like just right out there. Yeah. I wonder if this is something Mary shared in later life. Like, I used to be an errand girl for Notorious Outlaws. For the Jesse James gang. Like, I wonder if she told her friends and family that. This isn't true, but okay. Okay. 
<laughs> so then Mary finds out that the James brothers were in the war and that they fought for the Confederacy. Yes. She's like, wow, this is convenient. Here I am trying to cobble together a case to defend the Confederacy. Here I have two Confederate soldiers. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So Mary's all excited and tells them they're studying the war and they don't want to believe the North has the only truth. Mary tells them about the kid in class and Quantil's Raiders and how they killed his six-year-old brother. Did she say they had the only truth? Like, no. Was there was there no. different different truths in the 1800s? Also? I'm summarizing. Okay. Okay. So um, the James brothers start sympathizing with the Raiders, saying that the North did things just as bad. And then they talk about Rule Eleven. This is what it what what aboutism? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Rule Eleven. That's not your index card. It is not. All right. Well, I did some hodgepodgey research right, here. Let's, let's hear your hodgepodgey oh, research. You're disappointing me. I was researching There's, this. There is a giant major index card needed in this episode. <laughs> I know. But I was like, this is a pretty big thing. I was going to do it on Rule 11. Okay. Until this other thing came along. So basically, here's here's what I could find. And this was a very quick, not super thorough research. So do your own research, Mimi's. But. Rule 11 is basically there was a massacre in Kansas by the Quantrill's guerrillas in which they killed 150 Union men and boys. Did you look up this too? No. Okay. How many times do I have to say I didn't look this up? But even though it's not your index card, you don't look it up when you come across something like this? It was like Maybe I'm more intellectually curious than you. (laughs) She just looked away. Maybe you are. Okay. The North was pissed, and they believed that these guerrillas were getting support from the rural areas in Missouri, because when they retreated from the battle, they went back over the Missouri border. Like, this is not a unique thing. This shit happened all through the Civil War. It was right. absolutely brutal. So there was this crazy general who decided everyone in those rural areas in Missouri had to prove their loyalty to the North or to abandon their homes and leave. Then they went all scorched earth on the land, burning it all to the ground. It was a massive failure. The gorillas, the gorillas moved in there and were able to raid those houses and loot those houses before the Union Army was able to burn them down. According to Mary, she tells the class that the Union troops killed hundreds of them then as they were homeless. Oh, they were leaving, yeah. I couldn't find that. I'm not doubting it because there is some kind of line in the article I read about the general's troops were out of control and he couldn't control them. So I'm sure they were massacring. I'm sure people. not. I'm sure Mm-hmm. I'm sure there there wasn't a situation where nothing bad happened. Right, right, right. In the Civil War, but but so this is basically what happened. Okay, well, so, they. I mean, Mary kind of explains that. That's why I didn't. Yeah, I but guess Mary Beetle explain that. I guess. Anyway, this dude Bobby Ford starts screaming. That's a lie. Now, don't forget, his brother was killed by one of these gorillas. But as they as they touch on later, he. Was too young to remember what happened. Yes. Yes. So Miss Beetle backs her up and says, no, this is true. I know about Rule 11. And the class gets into a big fight. Now, when Mary's describing Rule 11, you're wrong, Jenny. She left out an important part that I added in. That was was the Kansas massacre, the Quantill massacre, where they killed Mm -hmm. 150 Union men and boys. That was left out. I thought they had already established that when the kid talked about that yesterday, the day before. Uh, I don't know. He mentioned that the day before. 
And then she's saying this is what happened now. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So the class gets into a huge fight. Like, well, I was wondering, I was wondering, I'm like, did Mary check this source? Like, I know she has a primary source, but did she, did she check their story at all? Like they could have just made something up and been like, yeah, rule 11. Like, here you go. Absolutely. But But then Beetle corroborates her story. Okay. So outside the school, some dude is waiting for Beetle and he doesn't look happy. It's she tries Mr. to ignore him, which is super weird. It's Mr. Ford, Bobby's father. He says he isn't happy and he's not alone. Many of the parents are upset and he calls her a Reb sympathizer. Mm-hmm. He tells her, keep it up and she won't have to resign. Dun, dun, dun. Just him and folks like him. Mm-hmm. Oh, that means. Oh, we know what it means. So Miss Beetle fires back that her father, Jem, was a decorated Union soldier who died as a prisoner in a Southern prison two days before the war ended. She then tells him he is keeping the memory of his family's tragedy alive for his son and he'll have to carry it. I thought it was a good speech. It was a good speech. It was a good comeback, but I don't know if you're going to reach a guy like that with that. No, I mean, no. Although I think the first part of that speech affected him. Mm-hmm. That like she's, you know, union. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that Sunday, it, it, you know, it, it should be noted too. I just want to say this for one minute. I am in a Northeast bubble. Like I have never lived in a place where people still think the South won. You did. I did. Yep. Yeah, I did. To me, this is unheard of because I am in Northeast Pennsylvania my whole life. Yeah. I learned that the civil war is sometimes referred to as the war of Northern aggression. Yeah. That's what I learned in living in Georgia. So like when I was thinking about where they are, Right? Are they in Missouri or Kansas? They're in Kansas. Well, Kansas. Wait, no. Where's Walnut Grove? Minnesota, right? Minnesota. They're in Minnesota. But they come from Kansas. And I'm thinking, like, yeah, I guess it wasn't really that black and white out there. No pun intended. No, Mm -hmm. it wasn't. Okay. So that Sunday, Jen, the families are heading into church when a team of horses come galloping down the road. It's not a team of horses. It's an angry militia. It's a band of horses, which is one of my favorite bands. It's a band of horses. All right. So these guys say they are bounty hunters. They are looking for the James brothers. And he says there's a big reward. And then he says, you know, bounty hunters really save town's money, Jen. They saved the, the town the cost of a pesky trial. Yeah, well, there is no law in Walnut Grove, so all they they have is bounty hunters. They give Charles the wanted poster, and Charles is like, oh, shit, my kid is working for these (laughs) two criminals. (laughs) Baker asks Charles. But he does nothing. Charles does nothing. He doesn't turn them in. They leave. And Baker's like, why didn't you turn them in? And Charles, Mr. Morality, part-time preacher. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. Says... If those bounty hunters shoot them boys down in cold blood, we're no better than they are. Mm. I mean, the the crimes of the James gang was wide, widely known. Yes. And it's not like they were denying it. Right. Right. <laughs> so um, he says, let's call a meeting at the mill tomorrow and no hotheads. And I wrote, so no Edwards and no Creek Justice. <laughs> <laughs> Edwards is not. Edwards is not here. <laughs> all right so he says we'll ask the rev to join us oh because oh, like how can we fuck this up? how can we fuck this up 
Meanwhile, the bounty hunters drive right past the James house on their way out of town. And Jesse's like, oh, they're leaving. Must be safe here. <laughs> the James brother's like, those townspeople are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> My BK Dunkirk or whatever yeah, name I like, gave him. How the work. hell did that work? <laughs> Meanwhile, Frank's sweating and bleeding out in the corner. He's like, I don't even know how we duped them. He's like, they literally have a picture of us in their hand. (laughs) At the Ingalls, Mary is freaking out because she can't work for them anymore. But Pa doesn't tell her why. He just says, you need to trust me on this. Then she stamps upstairs and there's Laura sitting there, but quiet. Sitting there doing nothing. What is happening? I'm freaking out about this. If they need someone to get taken out, just put Laura into the mix. Why is Laura, Laura, who stole your voice? What is happening? voice, Laura? Did she do something wrong? Like, is she struggling in school? Did she have to spend all her time, like, on that school and, like, do a lot of acting? Or what's going on? Laura, we need you back. Let's go for what happened at this period of time. We need you back. Well, I thought she wasn't in the last episode, so I thought maybe she's She's off filming a special. Yeah. But she's here. And she's sidelined. The only thing I think of is she just couldn't, for whatever reason, participate a lot in this. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. The only thing I was thinking is they could have been trying to pump Mary up to for those auditions for the after school specials, which mother is mine, which we just covered on Patreon. Oh, my God. Okay. Maybe they were doing that. Like, this is clearly the Mary show. Okay. I'm angry about it. Okay. At the mill, the men decide someone is going to ride to Mankato and tell the law. Because God forbid we have law in this town. This isn't obvious at all. All the men are at the mill. I know. On a random day. But before they can go, Jen, the bounty hunters show back up and they have a witness this time. Because of course they do. And it's that skeezy stagecoach driver. Yeah, who helped? Who helped them? Who helped the gang members escape? Yeah, he delivered them right to Walnut Grove's doorstep. So he's like, "Oh, those James boys—they definitely got off this stagecoach yesterday, right?" He's here. like, "Guys, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> like, am I here right now? Like, are you kidding me? Like, these guys are in this town. You fucking know it. All fifteen of you know it." Let me tell this story. So a while ago, there was a commercial. I don't even remember what it was for, and I think it was for Verizon. And they were like, some guy was in a real frustrating situation and he just goes, am I here right now? And when Jenny and I heard that, it was like, we were seen. Like, it was like (laughs) somebody just gave us the motto for our entire life. So now that's something we say all the time with each other. Like, am I here right now? This guy's getting gaslighted. He's like, seriously? But Jenny, (laughs) tell the truth. How many times do you think that in your head at work? All the time. All the all time. time. All the time. I'm in a meeting. I'm like, am I fucking here right now? <laughs> is this happening? <laughs> so the bounty hunter's like, where are they? We're going to turn your town upside down. All aggro. And Rev's like, I got this. Yeah. So Rev steps forward and is like, we need a town meeting. Oh, Lord. I don't know what the strategy is. I don't either. The bounty hunter agrees to this, but says they're sealing off the town. I think he's just trying to buy time. He's just stalling them. Yeah. yeah. So then the Rev says, if we're going to turn over these men for execution without a trial, then we're going to have every member of the town vote on it. So in other words, this ain't my fault. This isn't my thing. I'm spreading it around. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Jenny, don't the James brothers notice, like, okay, they saw the the bounty hunters leave. Now they saw them come back. Yeah. Now Mary's not showing up for work. I know. That's a dead giveaway when Mary doesn't show up for work, I think. So 
All right. They finally realize, I think, that they've been caught and they're trying to figure out how they're going to get out of there. Meanwhile, Garvey heads over to the school and tells Miss Beetle she has to dismiss the class. Like the town is surrounded by armed bounty hunters at this point. So now the 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 band of bounty hunters is holding the town hostage. Like great Pretty job, Men of Walnut Grove. Pretty much. And Jen, she tells the kids, "We're going to do Shakespeare tomorrow." And I was like all excited, and the kids are groaning. They they were pissed. They're not happy. Yeah. Well, like, would you rather talk about the Civil War? That I think so they well. would. They were fighting with each other. Okay. Beetle asked to see Mary. I don't know why. To tell and, her what a wonderful job she's doing, and ask her why she's so quiet, and says. You've been doing so great with this. You got the most out of this project. She's like those other kids. (laughs) After school, Laura finally has a speaking part. Oh, my God. And it's only to service Mary. It's only in service of Mary's big role here. And it's Laura telling Mary not to go somewhere and do something risky. What the fuck? So Laura's like, what's going on? And Mary's like, you know, Miss Beetle thinks I did so well. And I really have to thank the James brothers. No, she doesn't say James brothers. But I really have to thank those those Uh, hot single strangers for this. And she's like, uh, Laura's like, I don't think you should go there. Like, Paul said not to. And she's like, "Mm, I don't care. I'm going. So this is bizarro world. Because Laura's like. No, you shouldn't do that. That's that's dangerous and wrong. And you should listen to Paul. What? Like if what? Laura's warning you against yep. it, it's fucking yep. bad. Don't yep. do it. So then Laura immediately runs into Paul and tells him where Mary is. Okay. Mm-hmm. At the James place, Mary walks right into the trap like a stupid moron. She's just strutting down the pathway. And the James brothers are like, holy fuck. I can't believe she's coming back here. What an idiot. Yeah, like, oh, my God. <laughs> So things are, Mary walks right into their trap. Yeah. Yep. Things are super ominous inside. Frank doesn't want to get Mary involved, but Jesse's like, dude, we're doing this. Like it's and Frank's out, And Frank's like, you have to be w- willing to kill a hostage. And Jesse's like, eh, I could do it. <laughs> oh my God. So then Mary starts crying and they put her in a closet. It was their <laughs> best move. <laughs> Okay, back at the mill, now Pa now has the knowledge that Mary's out there. And he and Jonathan are trying to find a way to sneak out to get to Mary. So Pa sneaks out. Did you catch this though first? Did you catch this? The bounty hunters have a conversation and the one guy is like, these guys are so law-abiding. Like, I don't think they're harboring the James brothers. But what they don't realize is that they're so law-abiding that they won't turn in outlaws to bounty hunters. Like, is that some kind of weird, like, morality double negative that has happened here? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. And one thing I noticed that was weird is the bounty hunter, like, the main guy, his name is Broder. Mm -hmm. At some point, like, Garvey's like, Garvey says something. Charles goes, come on, Garvey. You know Broder. He's not going to do that, blah, blah, blah. Do they know this guy? They don't know anything. They're fucking bounty hunters. Right, but do they know this Broder person? Because he's like, you know Broder. He's not going to do that, blah, 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 blah. Like... It's weird. They don't. So, Paul, guys, imagine this. We're at the mill. There's the wheel, the water wheel on the side. Does it have an actual name or is it just the water wheel? The wheel. Let's okay. call the wheel. Paul sneaks out the window, goes down below the, the wheel. Did you see Garvey was questioning his him doing this? He's like, he's questioning Charles. Like, well, you can't do this. You can't do this. And that's when he says, like, Broder won't do that. Yeah. Who would not have been standing there asking all these questions? <laughs> Who um, would have already been in that fucking creek? Edwards. <laughs> uh, Sam. Um, 
I will say this. Charles could have taken his shirt off to go swimming. Why did he have to get in the creek with the shirt on? Disappointment. So anyway, so Charles is like in the reeds and he's like trying, he's to, get the under, again. trying to get again. under the bridge and it's not working. So Garvey goes out and he distracts the dude. He yep. creates a diversion on the bridge and Charles is able to very obviously swim oh my God. right past them. With a bright white shirt on. Like, dude, go deeper under the water. He's like on the surface of the water it swimming. Was so bad. It's weird. It was so okay. obvious. And Garvey goes okay. and he distracts him, but he should have like started running or something. Maybe yeah, the guy would have Get him away from that spot. Like Garvey yep. is not a good like second. He's a second rate ride or die. Like, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. All right. So then we see that the meeting is happening at the church, and I'm like, what the fuck? There's a meeting without Charles. How does that happen? How does that? Who let that happen? They should have been sitting there, like you know how you're sitting on Zoom waiting for that person. That's yes. Charles. You're yes. waiting. You're like, we can't start this meeting. No. There's 65 people on this meeting. We can't start it without Charles. Right. So Mr. Ford wants to turn the the outlaws in, no matter what. He's like, we're doing this. We're turning them in. Yeah. Don't forget, he, according to him, they killed his six year old son. Right, because they're Confederate soldiers and also bank robbers. Right, and. Frank James was part of the Quantill Raiders. Oh, right, 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 right. So, yeah. Does he know all that? Does Mr. Ford know that? I don't know. He might, because his his Confederate um, career was pretty well known, so he might know that. So Garvey comes in, and he's like, we can't do anything because they have Mary Ingalls hostage. I have a question. How did he know that? Well, he doesn't know that, but that's what they suspect. They know, it, he, he says Mary is a hostage and they will kill her if anyone tries to do anything. How does he know that? He doesn't know that. He had said to Charles, maybe she's on her way home. Like he doesn't, he has no idea. How could he have got that he, information? I think what he should have said, Amy's rewrite corner. Oh no. Is, hey guys, Mary's missing and we're worried she's at the James place. So we can't do anything. Maybe he was just building that up. Maybe he was just... Putting that in there. there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's right, but he meant he doesn't know he's right. Right. Yep. Okay. So Rev is like, okay, so we're all on the same page here. We're not doing this. And just as he says that, Broder, the bounty hunter, walks in. Smoking. Can I just say, this guy must smoke a lot. He has like gray skin. Yeah, he looks 117. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not even looking it up. No, I'm because not. Because he's it probably up. 38. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So he, he presses them all for the truth and he says there's a $5,000 reward. So that is roughly $62,000 today. That would be so a lot he of money. passes the picture around and no one says anything. Meanwhile, cut to, Paul makes it to the James house. And Jesse, and instead of sneaking in, he walks her up to the front door. Yeah, that and was smart. Jesse James comes out and holds him at gunpoint. And Charles is like, I will trade you for Mary. And he's like, well, duh, we're going to take no, you both now. Healthy, you dumbass. <laughs> Get in here. But at least pause with Mary now. Yes. So back at the church, Broder is calling the men liars. He's like, you're lying in a house of God. This and, is a house of liars. And Mr. Ford cracks and he stands up to tell him and Garvey <laughs> punches him in the face. That was good. Knocks him out. That Knocks him out cold. And Garvey says, if anyone is going to claim, claim that reward, it's me. And everyone's looking at him like, everyone's dude, like, what the fuck are you doing? Does he have a plan here, I hope? He says he'll take them to the place, but there's a girl inside, so they need to be safe. And Garvey leads them, Jen. Is it Edward's old bachelor pad? It might be. It so might now, be. So now yes. that's damaged. 
That's all shot up now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. So now Edwards can't come back. Although it's weird. I didn't know that was a five-minute walk from the church. But anyway. It's a two-minute walk from the church. <laughs> so they Garvey first tells them they don't need horses because he wants the horses at the church. But they're like, no, 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 we're going to take the horses. So they take the horses literally two seconds over a hill. And he said to them, there's a young girl being held in the mm-hmm. house. So, like, make sure she's not harmed. Like, yeah, okay. And, like, he and wants they, to see what they're going to do. Then they just yep. fucking open, open fire. fire. Of course they do. Of course they do. Okay. So they open fire. And <laughs> um, as they do, Garvey steals a horse and takes off. And then I wrote, oh, wait, he steals all of their horses. He sets all their horses free. Loose. He sets them loose. Loose as, horse. There's loose and, horses in this and he, episode. Yes, there is. <laughs> And he has the other men get rid of the wagons. Yep. Yep. Okay. So then the men realize they've been tricked. At the James residence, now we see Garvey trading Charles and Mary for two horses. Yep. So he's aiding and abetting these criminals. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So they they ride away. Charles, Mary, and Garvey return back to town. With one horse. With one horse. And they run into Broder. And Garvey's like, Garvey has a real knack of playing dumb. Oh, my God. But like, like Broder, being real smart. Broder doesn't know if he's this guy's a complete idiot or a genius. Like, he doesn't right. know. Garvey's like, all the shooting spooked your horses. We managed to catch one, but me and my buddy here, like, we had to run all the way to his house to get it. And then he goes, the rest are probably just grazing the hills somewhere. And then he goes, hey, Broder. You got those outlaws, didn't you? Oh, my God. Wow. It was brilliant. It, it was, was brilliant. fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the episode ends, Jen, with the townspeople gathered in church. Rev is giving a speech about whether or not they did the right thing about letting the James brothers go. They haven't had they this. Didn't. They, they didn't. They haven't had this drama since the calendars. Like, now they're all, like, gathered in the church. Like, okay, we had this big fucking drama again. <laughs> he says they all have to make peace with their conscience and with God. And the episode ends with a weird close-up of Mary. And then then we have a voice, Mary voiceover, not a fucking Laura voiceover. A Mary voiceover. What is happening? She says they never saw the James brothers again, except for Bobby Ford, who saw them on their last day, six years later, Jen. When he shot Jesse James. Yes. I have an index card. <laughs> Thank you. By the way, I just want, can I say something? There's a really good movie called The Assassination of Jesse James yeah, by the coward Robert Ford with Casey Affleck. It's very good. I haven't seen that. I want to see that. Okay. And I need to know one thing when you're going into your index card. I want a tally of how many fucking people were murdered and killed by the James brothers. Since they let them free. Since they let them free. I don't think any of this ever happened, though. I don't either. But go on. Okay. So what the hell is this? Is this true? <laughs> Did the dude who killed Jesse James go to school with Mary and Laura? <laughs> no. No. No, 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 Is no, that no, your next no, card? No. True. It's not true. Um, at the very least, I, I, just to, you can't find anywhere where it says that's true. There's a bunch of people on the internet saying that's not true. If you look at the timelines and where they all lived, I don't think Robert Ford and Mary and Laura would have ever crossed paths. No. He, he was mostly in um, Ray County, Missouri. And Laura and Mary were in Kansas, Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Because we know they weren't in Walnut Grove this whole time. They moved around right. a lot. Um, so I don't think they ever crossed paths. But what is true is Robert Ford shot Jesse James. 
on April 3rd. Not not a guy that went to school in Miss Beatles class, but the real Robert Ford shot Jesse James on April 3rd, 1882. So after the complete annihilation of his gang by 1881, which would have been in the future from this time, which is why that timeline's all screwed up because they're talking about how their gang is all done and over with, right? Mm-hmm. Not the right timeline. Jesse trusted only the Ford brothers. Charlie had been had been in raids for years, but Bob was fairly new. The Fords moved in with James for protection because there was just so many bounty hunters out. I mean, this was true. They were all over the place to get them. Um, By that time, Bob Ford had conducted secret negotiations with the Missouri governor planning to bring in James. He was offered, they they were offering a $5,000 reward to bring him in. After eating breakfast on April 3rd, they were all at the house that they lived in. Jesse removed his gun belt, which he almost never did because it was like super hot. And he threw it on the couch and he walked across the living room to fix up a crooked picture on the wall. And Bob Ford shot him in the back of the head. Mm -hmm. Ford wired the governor for his reward. The Ford surrendered to authorities and were dismayed when they were charged with first degree (laughs) murder. I love when (laughs) outlaws are dismayed when the rules suddenly applied to them um within in the in the course of a single day the ford brothers were indicted pled guilty were sentenced to death by hanging and granted a full pardon by the governor the fords only received a small portion of the bounty i guess a bunch of like of um policemen and detectives that were involved in the whole plot received a lot of it bob was later shot by edward o'kelly while attending bar at a saloon he owned in colorado on june 8th 1892 Mm-hmm. Some people say Ford killed someone other than James and that the real Jesse James died in 1951 at 101 years old in Texas. But in 1995, they tested the body buried in Missouri. That was the person shot by Bob Ford and the DNA matched Jesse's line. Now, the other part, like, did Laura Ingalls Wilder ever cross paths with Jesse James? I'm not sure, but probably not to this extent. Like, they probably heard of them. Or Some people say, and I think the movie intimates that, Jesse James knew they were turning him in. And that's why he took his guns off. He um, like he knew the jig was up. He, there was something that happened that he was not sure why they didn't mention it to him and that he was suspicious of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But the, the, the whole gang, like half of them were dead. Half of them were like just fled and left and quit. Like it was, it was the end, but I think he thought, yeah, they were going to turn him in and not shoot him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this wasn't true. Laura Mary did not go to school with this dude. And it said that Bob Ford um Oh, admired- did he, was his brother murdered? Bob Ford's brother? Yeah. That's what I he don't says. Know. We don't know. I don't know, true. but I don't think that's true because they um they said that Bob Ford really admired the career of Jesse the military career of Jesse James and he was a Confederate soldier. So mm-hmm. hmm. Michael Landon is just carte blanche, paint in the brush of history, doesn't care about accuracy. You know, my why is something else, but I just want to say this is why <laughs> history should be taught by the people who are charged with that. Well, and historians, think, teachers, you know, like Michael Landon shouldn't be teaching people history. Well, I love I you, Michael always, Landon. I was always a fan of like, you know how they say based on a true story? Yeah. At the beginning of a thing, it should be the other way around. They should say, not, "There's nothing factual in this," or "This is a work of fiction." Yeah, 
You know what yeah. I mean? Because I think a lot of people just see things and especially if they're in relation to historical figures, just think it's true. Well, they've changed that a little bit now. The ones I see mostly say like in front of the crown, they do this like based on true story, but a lot of the facts are, you know, the, the people can be real, but the events are factual or fictional. Right. I yeah. Like I think we need to be clear about that because people don't, People don't assume what they're watching is fiction. They assume, especially if it's about historical figures, they assume it's accurate. Jenny, can can you guess what this kind of brought up in me a little bit? Young Guns Two Stuff? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh God, I love Young Guns Two so much. So can we much. just can we finish this out? I just love Young Guns Two. I used to be able to quote it. Like, how lame was I? It's not a great movie. It's not a great movie. Okay. All right. So, uh, Jenny, whose fault is this? This is Charles's fault. There's two people who are to blame here. But the other one wouldn't have been to blame if the first one hadn't fucked up first. Okay. So, Charles, it's Charles's fault for not being like, yes, they're at that house outside of town. <laughs> right. When yeah. he got that flyer. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was, the, that's what he... Sh- I mean, these guys killed tons of people. Yeah. I, no, I, blood. I'm with you. I agree with that. I mean, I was going to try to blame Revolvin for Alden for well, no reason, but. Later it's Revolvin's fault, <laughs> but it's only because they're in this situation because of Charles. Yes. Revolvin also... has no plan. He's trying to buy time. He ends up getting the town taken hostage, basically. And then Garvey has to clean up both of their messes. Do you think Miss Beetle bears any of this? <laughs> I mean, the whole storyline of them fighting about the Civil War was just entertainment. I don't feel like that added to any of this. Yeah, it didn't add to the... Unless it drove that kid to shoot Jesse James. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So at the end of every episode, Jenny and I look back on the episode and think about, you know, what what lessons or scars we may have taken from it as children and carried with us into adulthood or something we noticed on the rewatch. We call it our why. It's designed to finish the sentence Gen X. This is why. So, Jenny, what is your why for this episode? So, this is why I think us as Gen Xers, we do not trust anyone ever in any situation, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> Isn't he, this a reoccurring why? <laughs> it really is. Um, we just don't. We just don't trust people. We're, mm-hmm. we're immediately suspicious of things. And I think, you know what the other show that I think did this to us at a very young age, at least for us at a very young age, Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. Because I remember, like, people yep. would always, like, have masks on and be disguised as someone else. And yes. you couldn't even trust that they were the person they looked like. Yes. We were we were feeling out the deep fakes before it was even a yeah, thing. Yeah, like, deep fakes on Scooby-Doo <laughs> was a thing. Mimi's, come at us if you trust people. And Jenny and I are just, like, I don't know if we've addressed outliers. this one before. I've talked about how I don't trust a situation and I think things are going to go wrong. Like as soon as things feel like they're good, which just happened to me this week, mm-hmm. by the way, mm-hmm. like my whole buying a house thing, mortgage situation was going way too smoothly. That's and common, I knew it. That's I knew it. I'm like, there's no way this is going this smoothly. I'm just waiting for the thing to happen. And, and now we're in the thing. Now it happened. So mm-hmm. now, now we're in the thing. But like, that's more of a situational, like, I don't trust that things are going well. This is, I don't trust people at all. I have a hard or time what trusting they say. people. I have yeah. a hard time trusting people. Yeah. Just, just born skeptics. Yep. I think. Yep. I agree with you. Jen, I don't know if you're going to like mine. Okay. Brace yourself. 
Why? Jenny, this is why I am now accepting Garvey as a replacement ride or die. Okay. First, <laughs> first of all, Garvey's style is not ride or die. It's really different. Right now, he's cleaning up Charles' messes, which is different than ride or die. Dude took an armed militia, led them astray while stealing their horses to aid two notorious outlaws in their escape just to save Mary. I think I think Jonathan is really good. I think he's slick. I think he has good plans. Ride or die means something different. So would you say Garvey- ride or die means I don't question you. I get in that fucking wagon and I go do the thing. And that's not what happened. So do you think Garvey is what, what would he be then? He's, is, is he still think, Paul's side piece? I think he's just mopping up Charles masses. He's the fixer. He's the fixer. Okay. That's more his role. Mm-hmm. Edwards. Mm-hmm. Would have been out that mill window with Charles. He would have been in the lake. Edwards would have been at the James house. Garvey punched somebody in church. He did, but that's not, that does not equal Charles ride or die. Okay. All right. Like Edwards would have been a hostage with Charles or he would have been sneaking around the back of the house to free Charles and Mary. Okay. Like Jonathan dealt with the whole, he 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 was was the the fixer. fixer. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I got to shut this guy up. Whack. All right. Okay. But but he has earned my respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. This I, I, episode, I, I saw Garvey in a whole new yep. light. I love he, how he kind of plays dumb and he's like really good at it. And and I think like the people talking to him were like, is he a little slow? Is something not right there? <laughs> yes. But he's like a mastermind, which yes. is great. Yes, he is. He is. But ride or die is no questions asked, Charles. I'm down that river with you. Okay. Okay. That's a ride or die. Okay. But he There's has not earned, even a question. But he has earned my respect because okay, I was not fair. thrilled with him yeah, coming no, into fair. the scene yeah. here. Okay. Yeah. He's no Edwards. Edwards has a different role. <laughs> he has a different field. <laughs> Edwards, like, you want me to go into that that hole with dynamite? Okay. I'll go in. All right. So Jenny, what is coming up next? So the next episode is Season four, episode nine, The High Cost of Being Right. Oh, that's Jenny's memoir. <laughs> okay. It's, I can't help if I'm always right. <laughs> the description reads, Jonathan Garvey is convinced that he has a great crop coming up. See? Already. Don't be convinced of that, Jonathan. But as he is celebrating with his family at the dinner table, a fateful fire burns down their entire barn. Oh, my God. Oh, is Carl oh, Jr. Oh, back? Was Mary over there studying? Is Carl's Jr. back? <laughs> With all their plans destroyed, Alice has a plan to get them back on their feet, but Jonathan's pride threatens their marriage. Oh, he just earned my respect. Now he's probably going to lose it. Yeah, probably. Although we do see Alice Garvey, so I'm happy about that. Yeah. I Glad like to Alice. welcome her into the fold. Oh, and can I just say that some trivia for this episode? Did you notice that Mary and Carrie Ingalls do not appear in this episode? Thank God. Thank the Lord. <laughs> so it's going to be Laura Centric. Good. All right, guys, so make sure you join our Meanity Facebook group where we let you know what's coming up, <laughs> what's dropped, because our calendar's a fucking mess. We can't, we, we, we're always operating in the future, so we don't know what the hell's happening. Yeah, so really it's March 19th, so we're pulling a Michael Landon timeline here. Yeah. Um. So God only knows when you're listening to this. April something. <laughs> like mid-April sometime, and you either have already heard Dead Poets Society or not. And you've heard our April Fool's episode. 
Don't say that. Oh, yeah, it's already out. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you heard our April Fool's Day episode. I'm Hope so you enjoyed confused. that one. All right. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. Amy here. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen. To send us an email or connect with us on social, please visit us at genxthisisy.com. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.